Running Light Ministry podcast is brought to you by listeners like you. You can support these podcasts by making a gift to the ministries at runninglight.org. My name is Bo. And I'm Peter. And we're with Running Light Ministries. We're glad you can join us on this edition of the Better Pleasure podcast, where we're going to talk about marriage. Uh, we're kind of doing a premarital series right now. It's been pretty cool. Yeah. We usually talk about porn and all that stuff, but we're not right now. <laughs> we're taking a break, <laughs> you know, um, off of off of that topic. But you certainly can ask us questions if you guys want. <laughs> certainly can tweet us at Running Light. Um, we talked last week about before um, the fall, there was no need for vows. You mentioned that. We talked about that um, the covenant that that we make in marriage, what we call a covenant with vows to one another, is made because of integrity is lost. Meaning when you look at the Bible, you see from Genesis um the first man, a first woman, you don't see vows because they were full of integrity. Yeah. And um, so we talked a little bit about that. We talked about um, being complete in Christ a lot. Um, so our first podcast on this subject, we talked about finding the one, mm. the one person out there. <laughs> and we're all in this quest instead of, in a sense, being the one. Mm. Um, and then we talked about looking for a partner from completeness instead of looking for a partner to complete you. Mm. Um, and the other thing I wrote down is uh, God is the reason to be married and remain married. Mm. Um, that's from a biblical perspective, of course. You mm. know, if you're not, um, you know, a theist, then you're going to interpret it in a different way. Mm. You know, whatever your worldview world is. But uh, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 19 right now. It says, um, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? So this is how Jesus starts off this passage. And this is uh, our premarital launching point right here. Um, is there anything more you want to say about this section? Um, yeah, this section, the, the one that you just read, uh, I think that, this is an important one that I know you go over and I go over too. And this is something that's very debated today. Mm -hmm. It never used to be. <laughs> and in most parts of the world, it still isn't. But um, today, the part that's debated is the fact that God created different genders with different gender roles. God created different genders? <laughs> now, that, that, like I said, it seems kind of ridiculous to a lot of people who are theists. And it would seem ridiculous. If I were to bring that up 100 years ago, people would be like, why do you even have to go over that? Um, but the fact of the matter is that we live in a world where gender differences are starting to evaporate. They're starting to go away. And we're calling it equality. And what we have to understand, you know, biblically, is that God created gender differences for a very specific purpose. And that is because that God himself has differences within his persons, meaning uh, God's role is different. The father's role is different than that of the sons. It's different. It's not the same. The father did not take on flesh. The father did not die for our sins. The father does not indwell us. He's not the Holy Spirit, right? So um, the son submits to the father, right? There's differences in their roles in the Godhead. And that becomes really apparent inside of uh, 
the major passages that we go to to describe these kind of gender differences, uh, me anyway, is 1 Corinthians 11. And in 1 Corinthians 11, what was happening in that church was that gender roles were starting to become, they were starting to become intersected. Uh, they were starting to evaporate, just like what was ha what's happening right now in America. So uh, lest we think as Americans, like we're inventing something new, and we're the first ones to, to create this type of equality. Uh, the same thing was happening in Corinth at the time. And what was happening was not only were gender roles starting to evaporate, but with the, with the destruction of gender roles, people were crossing over to different genders. So the men were beginning to dress like women and they were beginning to act like women and they were beginning to um, take on the roles of women. So we would call that today, we would call that transsexuals. Uh, Pre-op, obviously there was no uh, surgery back then. And Paul has to correct them. And this is what he says. This is 1 Corinthians 11, verse 2. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I delivered them to you. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. For that is one and the same as if her head were shaved. And he goes on from there and he talks about head coverings. Now, uh, I'm not going to get into head coverings and, and what they mean and why we don't do them today. But I will say in the text itself, Paul says that the Corinthian church was the only one that was supposed to do this. But the main purpose that he's trying to get at is that God created and defined genders in the mm -hmm. beginning and gender roles. And he says that these gender roles were a way of glorifying God. And I'm going to read it again so you could hear it. I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. So Christ being the son, his head, his leader, the one he submits to is the father. That's how the Godhead works. That's how the Trinity works. And Paul says, how do we as humanity how do we reflect that? And he says, very simply, the woman submits to the man. And that reflects the son and the father. And as opposed to being a, uh, a sexist thing, uh, I want you guys to really think about how mind-blowing that would have been in Paul's culture. The Corinthians, the way that they were dealing with the fact of gender roles and identities and sexism is much the same way that we as Americans are doing it. And that is ignoring the fact that there's differences between men and women. That's what they were trying to do. Um, but the major sexism that came about in the culture said that men were just better than women. That's what they said, that men are better than women, so therefore women should serve men. And if you think about it, it makes a lot of sense. If you look at Greek mythology, right, who's the head god? Right, right it's all male. It's male, right? Zeus, he's the head dude. You know, he's the guy on top. If you look at any other world religion today, who's the guy on top? It's Allah, Jehovah, Elohim, God the Father, whatever, whoever you want to call it. That's who's on top. Males. That's who's on top. So everyone from that theology, they're saying men are better than women, right? Obviously, men are better than women. Submission is bad because God doesn't submit and we want to be godly, right? So therefore, women are lesser than men. They're lesser species than us and they should submit. What Paul's saying is that the son, who is completely equal with the father in every way, 
submits to the Father in the same way that the woman submits to a man. So Paul is actually preaching equality. He's saying just as the son is equal with the father, the woman is equal to the man. But that doesn't take away roles and differences. Right? Hmm. Uh, is there anything you want to say on that? Yeah, I was saying that's, that's awesome. Um, you know, it's so rooted in the idea that God has purpose in what he did that nothing he did was arbitrary. So creating man and woman was not an arbitrary act. It actually is to reflect the nature of God. Hmm. And this makes sense because when you look at the scriptures in Genesis of the creation, one of the most interesting things is it says in verse 27 of chapter one, so God created man in his own image in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Hmm. So it's interesting because God created them in his image. Hmm. Not just male, but female as well. Hmm. So there is something unique about the genders hmm. in how it is to reflect the nature of God. Hmm. So for, for a Christian... The argument of there's no such thing as gender or genders man-made, those are irrelevant mm. because to us, it is actually confirmed by Jesus here in Matthew chapter 19 mm. that the Genesis account is a true account mm. of God creating. And when God creates, he created for a purpose. The question always comes up like, well, how is God like a male and how is, is he like a female then? Hmm. If, it, if the both of them are made together, they're made in the image of God. Hmm. Um, how does that, how does that happen? Hmm. Or what does it look like? And I would just tell people that it's interesting, but you see some parallels with Eve and the Holy Spirit in this way. They're both to be helpers. Hmm. You see that. You also see that God throughout the Bible talks about his relationship with his people, not just as a husband, hmm. but he also talks about his relationship to his people as a mother. Hmm. So those are, those are two things that I can think of right off the bat hmm. of, of we see that when we're talking about God, we're talking about a being that has both of those qualities and and components to, you know, his nature, if you will. Hmm. Um, you know, it says God is spirit. Jesus said that. Hmm. God is spirit. Um, so the Bible certainly gives pronouns to God, mostly all male. Mm. Um, and so we tend to render God always in the he mm. pronoun. But it, because of the Trinity, the idea of the Trinity, mm. it, it makes sense that God could 
have both qualities within himself hmm. and because of his distinct personhood, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they can accomplish these these roles. Hmm. Where if you didn't have a a uni, uni, united God, a one God who's united, hmm. then you would ha- your doctrines would have to be different. Hmm. Like I always think, like, w- well, what? is the purpose of male and female being made in the image of God. How does that represent God if God is not a trinity? Yeah. You know, what is what is the image bearing work of man and woman? Yeah. And it it, it starts to lose all of its meaning if you if you put it that way. And that's why, you know, it's it's interesting all the uh all the Christian cults, uh, if I could call them that, you know, the Judeo-Christian cults, and I would put, I would lob into that category Islam, Jehovah's Witness, Mormonism, and a few others. But all these cults, it's very interesting that they really don't lift up women. They do not exalt women. Islam, definitely not. Mormonism, I mean, if you see the... Joseph Smith's beliefs of polygamy and the way he treated women in his life, you see that he definitely didn't see women as equal. Um, women don't get their own planets. Married women get to share a plant with their husband, but he's the head. He's the leader of it. Uh, Jehovah's Witness, same deal. Um, and I believe that the reason why that happens, it's not that there aren't very progressive, you know, equality biased people within those belief systems what i'm saying though is that their foundation is negative towards that um and the reason why is because theology matters what you believe about god is going to come out in the way that you live right so if i believe that god is a unity that he is just one being one person that's it right i would have to come to the conclusion that women are lesser than men because think about it in Jehovah's Witness and in Islam and in Mormonism, Jesus is just a creature, just like us. He might be an exalted creature, but he's just a creature. And Jesus submitting, therefore, Jesus submitting to the Father is not an act of humility. Jesus submitting to the Father is just a creature submitting to the Creator, which everyone should do. However, if Jesus is the Creator on par with the Father, his submission is is humility it's a humble thing for him to do it's giving up something that he could have had and that's exactly what philippians 2 says right although he existed in the form of god he did not consider equality with god something to be held onto but he emptied himself and became in the form of a bond servant right so that's the idea of humility and that's one way that i always try to explain to couples especially in our culture where women are like, why should I have to take on a different role? Why should I have to submit? And the fact of the matter is, is like, okay, what you're doing is you're taking on a role of humility. Meaning, yes, you are equal to your husband, and yes, you have rights. Humility is taking those rights and putting them aside and saying, you know what? For the sake of submission, for the sake of honoring God, I'm taking the rights that I have, and I'm laying them aside just as Jesus did. And ju- and because Jesus is God, then it is not a act of um, 
uh, you're subservient to some upper being. Yeah. It's it's God doing it mm. in, in Jesus's relationship to the father. Mm. So a wife isn't emulating just some servant, mm. you know, but actually God. Yeah. So both male and female people in marriage are emulating God. Mm. No one gender is to emulate something less than God. Mm. So both are doing what God does. And and that's a radical concept to a lot of people when they think of God, because they think God submitting, that would be ridiculous. Mm. Um, but because of the uniqueness of God, because God is a unique God, a unique being, and he's fully sufficient in himself, which is an important doctrine, mm. meaning, meaning he can love within himself. He doesn't need to create a being to be able to love. He is love and love permeates within his unity. Mm. So he is self-sufficient. There is even submissive roles within his unity. Mm. So we have, in Christianity, you have the perfect example of submission. So it's not teaching that a woman should be subservient to the husband um, like a slave or someone who's not on the same par with the master. <laughs> but what we're saying is that, no, the master, this is what the master does. Yeah. yeah. You know, so if a woman goes, I don't want to do that. Well, no, that's what the, you don't get it. That's what the master <laughs> does. <laughs> that's what God does. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's what God does. Yeah, that's what God does. Yeah. You know, and so what's the man doing? What God does too. Yeah. You know, which is his is laying down his life. His is this sacrificial giving of himself mm. um, in these other forms that we'll talk about later on. Yeah. You know, I wanted to bring up to first Peter chapter three, because I think it's really important. Yeah. Where it says, husbands, likewise, dwell with them, <coughs> with your wife, with understanding, giving honor to the wife mm. as to the weaker vessel. And as being joint heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Hmm. So it's really a rebuke or an admonishment to a husband to say, treat your wife good, honor, hmm. which would be awkward, right? Don't you think so in that day? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it would. Because in that day, once again, their view was, is that why should I give honor, right, to my wife? Does a king honor a peasant, Right. Does that happen? Does a boss have to honor his employee? No, the employee honors the boss. The employee respects the boss. That's how it works. And Peter's saying something radical here. He's saying, no, no, no. Because you're a leader doesn't make you better than, right? Just as the father leading the son doesn't make him better than the son. In fact, if you finish the passage of Philippians 2, what does it say? He has given the son the name that is above every name, that every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Which is radical. That means the servant, the one who's submissive, <laughs> is the highest. Is the highest. That's right. And Jesus said the same thing. He will be first, shall be last, and he who is last shall be first. So it's this, it's this interesting idea that Jesus brings to us. So uh, again, in our mindsets even in america the reason why we're trying to get rid of gender differences is because we're saying oh submission that's yucky that's archaic 
you know, that's trying to bring women down. That's trying to put them under the boot heel of men again. You know, that's what's happening. And the Bible's flipping that on its head. It's like, no, no, you don't understand. To submit actually makes you the ruler. It actually exalts you. To not submit actually makes you a fool, right? It brings you down. And that's why he's saying, husbands, you need to respect your wives. You need to honor them. Which is right? such a crazy concept of that day, right? Yeah. <laughs> honor your wife. I mean, what would the ancient world think of that? Yeah. You know, honor, respect your wife, you know, mm. honor her. You know, how do you honor a wife? Mm. You know, you, you know, I, I, some, some people will say in the, in the church, like, you know, it's never said for a, a man to respect their wife. Untrue. <laughs> and, I'm, and, and I always go, nah, I don't know about that. Because <laughs> here it says honor. And I mean, you can't honor someone without having a respect for them, can you? Not really. Not well. You know, I mean, I, I mean, if my wife tried to respect me without honoring me, I don't really feel like I'd be very much respected. Yeah, part of honoring someone or something is like paying respect. I mean, that's another phrase that we use, yeah. right? Um, so, you know, to, when this says honor to the wife, you know, that's pretty heavy. And it also says as to the weaker vessel and people go, oh, there it is. There's that gender thing. <laughs> yeah. But I don't think Peter, I don't think there's nothing, there's no rocket science here. It's just Peter saying, hey, your wife is smaller than you. Yeah. You know, she's fragile. Hmm. You know, she's, which I know people struggle with that genderly in our day, they go, oh, that's, that's, that's that gender thing again. Mm. But we have, for a reason, women that play basketball, and then there's a separate men's team, mm. and they don't cross over. Yeah. Every now and then, there's maybe a woman who maybe can cross over into a man's game. Mm. Every now and then. You know, special woman, amazingly strong. But on the whole, you don't, they don't allow just men to go join the women's team, mm. you know, and open it up <laughs> and say, hey, you know what? There's no gender difference, nothing different about the genders. We're going to open it up. Any man can join a woman's team because mm. before you know it, what would happen is there would be no more women on the team. Mm. There would just be a bunch of men that are going to probably take over the team. Yeah. And it's like, you know, what we're talking about here, as much as women might dislike it is just, again, it's just, it's kind of just a solid fact. It's one of those things where you just got to look at it and say, it's just, it's just a fact. You know, if you, if I watch the Olympics, you know, which I do, and I, I see the men and women competing, it's like, okay, the, the, one of the lowest, some of the lowest men, like their times and, you know, freestyle swimming, running, jumping, weightlifting, whatever. Some of the lowest scoring men are still higher than the highest women. So it's like these are the most athletic women on the planet. And yet some of the lowest men on there who are very athletic men, by the way, you know, they're not just your average slub on the couch, but they're still stronger than. So I'm not saying that a woman can't become stronger than a man. She can. But what I'm saying is that a man could still become stronger than that. You know, that God did create us differently. You know, our our physiques are different. They're built for different things. You know, that's, we have roles. We have purposes. You know, it's it's not, 
it's not decrying something to say that it has a different role, right? You know, you, you can't you can't do that. It's the whole apples and oranges thing. I can't be angry at a, at a at an apple for not tasting like an orange, and I can't be angry at an orange for not tasting like an apple. They have different roles. They have different tastes. They have different goodness in their different roles. And the same thing is true with men and women. There are strengths that men have that women just don't. But there are strengths that women have that men don't. And and this is this is an interesting point. And we'll get back to the first Peter because I want to talk a little bit about we're joint heirs together. Mm. But but that's an important understanding. See, the Bible tells us in Titus chapter two that older women are to teach younger women. And this is important because in marriage, when you're going to get married, if th- if the husband <coughs> thinks that he can teach everything to his wife, wife he's wrong. Yeah. Just as the wife is not going to be able to teach everything to the husband, because the Bible also teaches that as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another man. It doesn't say one... A woman sharpens another man. It doesn't say the wife sharpens another man. Hmm. It says one man sharpens another man. Hmm. So the Bible's teaching us that we are in marriage independent, but yet dependent Hmm. on something outside of us to help us in our marriage. Hmm. So it's a very interesting idea. So it's not just, I cannot be everything to my wife. Hmm. She needs to have other women in her life that's teaching her and helping her become a woman. Hmm. And if, and I don't know how that would work if you're, if you're married to the same sex, Hmm. you know, how does that work? Because now it, it would break down because now you can teach your spouse everything yeah. because you're a man and I'm married to a man. Yeah. You know, and if we were married together, then I would teach you how to be a man. You can teach me how to be a man, yeah. you know, a- unless you go, hey, I don't want to be a man and I'm going to be a woman. Hmm. Um, you know, and, and some people do go those routes, yeah. you know. And and here's the, the really cool thing when you think about it. The word that we use in Christianity to describe this, by the way, is complementarian. And, you know, y- you understand it, you know, like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. You know, the peanut butter is not the jelly. The jelly is not the peanut butter. But they complement one another, right? They come together and their differences play off one another and they make something greater than each individual part. So the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. That's what we say. Uh, marriage think, works the same way. Right. Think of harmony. Harmony. That's right. Where it's two different lines of music coming together to make something greater than each individual melody. Right. Each individual one line of music. And that's that's the beauty of it. Where when you come into marriage, here's the cool thing. There are things that my wife is better than me at. She has greater gifts than me in certain things. And I can learn from that. And there are things that are that I'm better at, that she can learn from, things that I've never even thought of in my relationship with men. However, the areas that are different in us, what we instead do, this is what marriage looks like. This is what marriage actually looks like compared to what God made it to be like. Instead of me looking at the things of my wife and saying like, man, honey, you have compassion, empathy, 
and you know a beauty towards people and relating to them that I have never even seen in my life, which is true about my wife, by the way. You know, I have hung out with men my whole life. I've been in the Marines. I've hung out with tons of different men. I have never seen the level of love, compassion, and empathy in any other person but my wife. You know, she has it in spades. It's amazing. Instead of me doing that, though, I will instead try to compare her to me. So, for instance, I'll look at her and be like, well, why doesn't my wife do it this way? Why isn't my wife good at these things that I'm good at? And so instead of looking at what's good about her, I start looking at about what is different and I start judging it. Be like, my wife is too emotional. She's too needy. She's too clingy. She asks too many questions. Why can't she figure it out on her own? Right? Why can't she do it by herself? Right? And I start, I start judging her in her differences. And then she turns around because I'm, I'm not leading the right way. She turns around and she does the same thing to me. My husband's cold. He's distant. He doesn't care about me, right? He's, he's neglecting me. He's not emotionally connected to me, right? And so as we're judging one another, what's happening is we're splitting apart. But what should have happened is we should have looked at the differences and we should have been drawn together in those, right? And learned from each other. So the areas that I need to learn from men, I need to go to men and learn that. But there are areas that I can only learn from my wife because she has something that, those men don't have Hmm. right and i have something that her female friends don't have and that's why it's the great phrase we're helpers we're helpers right my wife helps me i help her but we're not to become dependent like it's only my wife she's the only source of of christianity because it would lead to that bitterness if we did that and if you also think about it like one flesh you know, that's what the Bible says. You're one flesh. You're one entity at, at some point. If, you know, if think about your body. If one part of your body gets stronger, that benefits the whole body, right? You know, if my arms get stronger, that's good for all of me. It's not just good for my arms. If my wife is going and she's being fed and she's being bettered in her Christian walk with other women, that betters me because those areas in her life that I don't have that she has are getting better and stronger and deeper and richer. And that enlivens my Christian walk. And if me as a husband, if I'm going out and I'm getting better and richer and stronger, it's helping her out. But it's a two-edged sword. If one part of your body atrophies, it hurts the whole body. If I'm just going to be like, you know what, Bo, I've worked out for a long time. I'm just not going to work out my legs anymore. I just don't feel like it. You know, they're kind of lame. I'm going to work out just my upper body for the rest of my life. As my legs get weaker and weaker, it's actually, instead of just affecting my legs, it's going to affect my whole body over time, right? If one member hurts, the whole body hurts. So if me as a husband, if I'm like, you know what, my wife's going to do her thing and I'm just going to, you know, do nothing, (laughs) you know, it's going to hurt her. It's going to hurt her walk with God. And if my wife does the same thing, she's like, you know what, this Christian stuff, it's it's for my husband. He's the leader. It's going to hurt me. Right? Both members have to be in their own will pursuing God or else it doesn't work. Hmm. Right? Yeah, and I love how you said that there's so much we can learn from the other gender. Hmm. And that's such a great perspective. And man, that's such a loving statement. And it seems like the world needs that knowledge hmm. that we don't have to fight gender we can enjoy each other's gender celebrate each other's gender 
you know, be happy that women are women and men are men. And, and that's, that's great. We can learn from one another and gain so much. Mm. And that definitely should be seen in a marriage. It says that back to this first Peter three, it says that they both are heirs together of the grace of life. Mm. And I like that. Mm. I like that passage. They're heirs together. They're a unit. They inherit heaven, inherit all of God mm. together. Mm. So there's no better person in the marriage. <laughs> you know, if you're inheriting all that's God's, that's pretty awesome. Mm. So it's another proof that the the big bra bra um I want to say um um kind of stout man Peter fisherman rough around the edges I mean here he's writing and says your joint heirs together hmm. which would have rocked people's world hmm. joint heirs together hmm. you mean she gets a planet too <laughs> if it was Mormonism, <laughs> it was Mormonism yeah. <laughs> you know and and that's that's how it's so different from Mormonism mm. or these other things because they're joint heirs together yeah so I don't know how you can be a joint heir of the kingdom of God and not get it all mm. you know you're getting it all right you know right and so that's why it's it's crazy in the in the New Testament, a lot of people see this as a sexist thing, but it's actually not. It's actually destroys sexism. Throughout the New Testament, a lot of people wonder. It always says we are all sons of God. First John says that. You know, Peter says that. Paul says that. All of them say that. We're sons of God, and people are like, you know, what what is that? Well, the reason why it says that is exactly what Bo is talking about with the inheritance. We're joint heirs in the world that they were writing in. The sons got the inheritance. The daughters did not. So if Peter, Paul, and John all said, hey, we're all sons and daughters of God, that means, guess what? The sons get the inheritance and the daughters get nothing. So it's like, we're not joint heirs, right? I'm not joint heir with my wife. I get the inheritance and she gets the inheritance because she's my wife, right? I hook her up because she's my spouse. But what Peter, Paul, and John are actually saying is that we're all sons. We all get the inheritance, Right? There is no greater inheritance that men get over women. We all get the same heaven. We all get the same God. We all get the same blessings. We are all the bride of Christ. Right? We all come together with that. That's great. So we'll end the podcast there on gender roles, talking about male and female. Is there anything else that you can think of that you wanted to mention? Yeah, I mean, we could explore it in much greater depth because I usually, you know, and I know I've, I've heard you do premarital. I know you do this too. Um, where we take an entire session just to talk about what does submission look like? What does leading look like? Yeah. Um, and this, this would be the last thing I said. We've already basically said it, but I'll just say it very clearly. For men, if you want to learn how to lead, you look at Jesus. For women, if you want to look how to submit, you look at Jesus. We all look at Jesus, and we see how to do it. And you see that, man, when Jesus led, he led in meekness. Meaning he wasn't some dude. Yeah, Jesus could have easily led by flexing his muscles and forcing people to do whatever he wanted. You know, but he led in humility and he led in meekness. You know, he was gentle. He was kind. He was understanding. 
of the people that he was leading. Um, and in submission, Jesus, when he submitted, it wasn't a weak thing. He wasn't a weak, coward, you know, sissy person when he was submitting. He wasn't like going to the father of like, hey, dad, I want to do this, but I know you got the, the rule and I got to do it. You know, and he's like, please don't hurt me. You know, that's not what's going on. When Jesus submitted, there was still a strength in his submitting. And that strength gave him the courage to even express his wills to his father. Even when they contradicted in the Garden of Gethsemane. If it be your will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will. Jesus expressed his will to his father, but said, but ultimately, yours is the will that I'm going to follow. I will submit to you, and I'll do it joyfully. So that's, that's how we have to look at things. And, and like I said, probably next week we'll get more in-depth than that, and that'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. So thanks for being with us on this podcast, um, going through premarital um, information on the Bible. We hope you guys enjoyed it. Okay, take it easy. Check out runninglight.org to begin our two video series, Take Flight and Love or Lust. You can also send us questions on Twitter at Running Light or on our runninglight.org podcast page. Like us on Facebook at Running Light Ministries, Psalm 36.8. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures.